Victory Church. So I may be a reverend, and I may be a professor, and I may be a doctor, just by the skin of my teeth and very recently, but I'm not your professor, I'm not your pastor, and I'm not your doctor, so please just call me Melissa. <laughs> and so it's wonderful to always share the word at a place where, is my, where I call my spiritual home. And so we're glad to have all of you here with us and to have those of you who are joining us online. As you could see from the bumper that we just played, this is our fourth week of the Raising Your Expectations series on prayer. How many of you have been blessed by this? Amen. Amen. And so tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about expectations because expectations are powerful things, aren't they? They're very powerful. A few weeks ago, when it was the end of the academic year, a few of my colleagues and I decided to go out and have a nice dinner and kind of end the year together, and we went to a little Italian place, and when dinner was over, we said, let's get some cappuccinos and just talk and enjoy the, the bliss that teachers know of a school year being done. Well, what happened was they said, we're really sorry, we've got no milk. We could just bring you some strong black Italian coffee. We said, sure. And they set out on the table three small cups and a little dainty glass bowl with a glass spoon in it to put the sugar in. And so we each put some in and stirred and waited for this hot coffee to cool down. And I was the first lucky one to take a sip. And as I grabbed that coffee and took a big swig, expecting to have this beautiful moment of, of Italian espresso to give me a good charge in my spirit, I spewed it out of my mouth because I instantly knew something was wrong. That amazing little restaurant in their beautiful little bowl with a beautiful little spoon, mistook the sugar for salt. <laughs> and you can imagine when you're expecting sweet coffee and you get salty coffee, none of us, maybe salted caramel coffee, right? We like that, but not salted coffee. If you would have told me ahead of time, hey, just be prepared, they're gonna mistake this and they're gonna put some salt in there, I wouldn't have liked it any more than I did, but I would have been a little more prepared and a little less shocked. Expectations are powerful. When we expect something, we expect something. And for the last three weeks, we've been talking about raising our expectations in prayer. And today, I want to talk to you about something very powerful, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. Let's read together from Matthew 7, starting with verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The next verse. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Next verse. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is gospel truth. This is prayer 101. Jesus is setting our expectations for prayer. Ask, seek, knock, and what happens? You're going to find it. You're going to receive it. That door is going to be open to you. We pray with expectation that those things will happen. And yet, if I'm honest with you, in my own life of faith, there are times I have a hard time praying that. There's a tension between praying that and what I see with my eyes and what I experience. 
Last week, um, Pastor Ed, he mentioned in his sermon, and I, I love that he did this, he said that he had listened to a sermon once about unanswered prayers, and he said he walked away more discouraged than he was encouraged. So we're not going there tonight. That's not the direction. But I do want to ask a question that I think is very real for us tonight. How do we pray a prayer of faith when we feel like we've got no faith at all? How do we pray a prayer of faith when we feel like we've got no faith at all? How do we raise our expectations when we feel that tension of, but I've prayed and I didn't see it happen? Some of you have been listening to the last three weeks and you've been very encouraged, but some of us may have been discouraged because we feel like we're just not in that place. Have you ever had an unanswered prayer and then you hear someone say to you or you read something that says, if you just had a little more faith, and instead of walking away encouraged in our faith, we walk away feeling like something's wrong with us, our prayers are unanswerable, and God's not listening to you or me. And so today, how do we ask, seek, and knock when the situation seems so discouraging? We're going to look in Luke chapter 22 for a little bit today. And I think we're going to find something that will encourage us there in this question of how do we pray a prayer of faith when we feel like our faith is shattered on the floor. So if we want to look in Luke 22, this might be a little bit familiar to some of us because the first half of that chapter is Judas scheming to one-up Jesus and to betray him. We see then that we have the Last Supper when Jesus takes the bread and the cup And he breaks it, and he pours it, and he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. This is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And then at the end of the chapter, there's this famous story between Simon, Peter, and Jesus. And most of you, if you've been raised in the church or have been in a couple services, you've heard this story that Peter makes a promise to always stick by Jesus. I will never betray you. I've got your back, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, listen, by the end of tonight, the rooster's going to crow three times, and you'll have betrayed me. And Peter says, no way, Jesus, not happening. I'm your boy. I've got your back. I am with you. And then we hear, well, that's more of a chicken, but you get the point. (laughs) And so this chapter wraps up with Jesus praying so hard for what is coming to him, his betrayal, his crucifixion, that he is praying to the point where his sweat and his tears are mingled with blood. We're familiar with these stories, but in between the beginning and the end of that chapter, there's a little passage that I think Peter passed over really fast, and we can pass over it too. And so I want us to slow down and see this message that Jesus had for Peter, and I believe it's the message he has for us here at Victory and for you at home as well. Let's read Luke 22, beginning with verse 31. Here is our window into Jesus' heart when we don't feel like we've got the faith to pray. Starting with verse 31, Simon, Simon, this is Peter, his other name, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And here's two more verses for context. But he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison or to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before that rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive, that it is active, that it instructs us, it encourages us, it corrects us, and it trains us how to live lives of righteousness. It trains us, Lord, how to expect in prayer from you. 
And so today we do. We lift up this time and we ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our passage, Jesus just downloaded a whole heck of a lot of content for Peter. And if I can put it in a nutshell, what he's saying is, buckle up, Peter, it's about to get real rough. The devil wanted to sift you, Peter. And Peter, we saw him. We saw that zeal in him. He says, I got it, Jesus. Oh, Satan wants to sift me. I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. He just zipped right over it. And Jesus says, slow down a minute. I don't want you to miss my message here. Jesus says, you've got no idea the situation you're about to get into. And Peter might be a little too dramatic and a little too overconfident in himself. And sometimes I've tried to jump in as the hero of my own story a few times. The hero of, what? God, let me help you out. I got the answer. Just let me take care of it. You can take the day off. But Jesus says to Peter in this passage, there's something that you don't realize, Peter. It's going to get hard. But you don't have my back. I've got yours. I'm the one holding on to you. Peter almost ran right past that, and I hope that we don't run past it tonight. So we're going to travel through that verse that I just shared in little snippets, and I think that we're going to hear something for God's heart for us that will help us raise our expectation in the prayer of faith. The first part of this passage, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So in, when we read this, sometimes it says Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Sifting, if you've ever seen, like panning for gold, right? What do they do? They put all the dirt and the rocks and maybe hopefully some gold on that screen and they shake it. Or if any of you have ever baked with your mom and she gets out that old sifter to shake the flour and the salt and the baking soda together, it is a shaking process It's what they used in the Old Testament times to take the wheat and they would shake it over and over so that the chaff would blow away and the good, usable, edible wheat would remain. It can be a long, hard, jarring, ongoing process. The word that is used here in the original language when the scripture was written in Greek is called siniadzo. I feel like that should, uh, Pastor Steve, shouldn't that be like an opera, like an Italian opera? Siniadzo, siniadzo. I feel like it will make it work, maybe for Easter. But it means two, two different definitions. It's, it's a unique word in the Bible. It's only used once in the New Testament, right here in our passage. And the first translation is to sift. So good. The translators got it right, right? That is that shaking process. It is a refining. It's taking what doesn't belong there and separating it from what is good. But there is a second definition to that word, and it means an inward agitation that is meant to try one's faith to the verge of overthrowing it. We read that again. An inward agitation that tries one's faith to the verge of overthrowing. So two ways this could be taken, refining you or crushing you. And Jesus says to Peter here, Satan wants to crush you like that wheat. He wants to show you and me and the world that you are not filled with me, you are not who you think you are, and that you're not a part of me. And Jesus also knew what all of the believers were about to go through. Remember at the end of that passage, he's about to be crucified, and so he is warning all of them that you are all about to be sifted. There's something interesting in most of our English Bibles in this passage. It says, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But in that original different language, there's a different word for that plural you. And so he's saying here, Satan has desired to sift all of you who follow me like wheat. You may have gotten your connection card when you came in today, but you didn't get an exemption card from life's sifting processes. 
And so he's telling him, all of you will be sifted. And I know that's true because I know some of you, and I know myself. You may be experiencing financial issues, health issues, relational drama with someone at home or at work or somebody in your life. There may be a situation that your anxiety is as worse as it's ever been, or you feel like maybe you're having issues with your mental health, or you're afraid that you are, and that anxiety is crushing you. Anyone who desires to follow Jesus is going to go through this sifting process. Moses, Elijah, David, Jesus, all were sifted. But here's our encouragement from Jesus in the next part of this verse. So he says, Simon, Satan has desired to sift all of us, all of you, like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon. This is Jesus talking. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And Jesus does something really interesting here. You know, I told you the you in the first part was plural, that we're all sifted. But now he says, I'm praying for you, singular. You know what that says to me? That we're all going to be sifted. All of us are going to go through seasons where we are shaken to the point where our faith feels like it's going to be overthrown. But Jesus is praying for you and for you and for me by name. We're sifted corporately. We're prayed for individually. We don't just have a Savior in Jesus. We have an intercessor. 24-7. Yes, Sister Brenda. We don't, let me say that again. We don't just have a Savior He didn't just save us on the cross and said, all right, now you're good to go. He said, no, I'm your savior, but I'm also praying for you. Don't you love it when somebody comes alongside you in a hard time and maybe lays a hand on your shoulder or you get a note or a text, I'm praying for you. That changes so much of how I feel about what I'm going through. But do you understand that the God of the universe, the savior of our souls, the creator of heaven and earth is saying, I'm praying for you. So we're getting sifted corporately, but he is praying. And what does he pray when it gets hard? He doesn't pray for Peter that the sifting would be over quicker or that he wouldn't be sifted at all. He wasn't saying, oh, you know, this is going to happen. He said, no, I'm praying that in the middle of this that your faith won't fail. Of all the things for Jesus to pray for us, that our faith wouldn't fail that we wouldn't lose our faith when things get hard. So he knew Peter was about to blow it, and he knew that intercession was needed because what was coming was going to be really hard. So friends, with elections coming up, with political unrest, with everything that's happening in our world, the things that we see that are going on that just horrify us, we're being sifted. But what is he praying? Not that you would raise up to be this incredible political leader or that you are going to have the best Twitter or Instagram post that's going to set everybody straight. His prayer for you and I is that our faith wouldn't fail when times are tough. And sometimes we don't know how to pray or if we should bother praying. My faith gets shaky. But he's praying for our faith. So the prayer of faith that we're talking about today is not the one that we pray by praying harder. Do you ever feel like when, when you pray for something and it's really important, you squint harder, you get a little louder, you might like clench your fists a little bit more? The prayer of faith is less about you and I getting louder and praying right or better, and it's more about who's praying for us. 
that Jesus is praying for us. The prayer of faith is that faith prayer that he's praying over you and I today because he's got a plan and it's bigger and better than anything that we could see in the midst of our circumstance. Third part of that passage I want us to look at. He said, and when you turn back, Peter, strengthen the hearts of your brothers, and I'm going to add in sisters. So in the corporate sifting where all of us are being shaken in our own way, He is praying for us individually, by name, by situation, by trial that we're going through. And he's praying that our faith wouldn't fail in the middle of it. And he says this to Peter, you're about to blow it, you're about to betray me, you're about to do the thing that you never thought you would do, but when you turn back, I love this, he doesn't say if. He didn't say if you turn back, Peter. And it's not because... He had such great belief that, Peter, you got this. You got... It's because he knew who he was and that he was going to strengthen Peter. He knew who he was in Peter. And he said, you are going to turn back and you're going to strengthen the hearts of your brothers and sisters who are going through their own failures, hardship, their own sifting. To strengthen here, this word means to make it firm, to fix, and to set our minds I love that he said mind, because when I'm being sifted, the first thing that goes is my anxious thoughts, my vain imaginations that can just run amok. I get way ahead of myself, and next thing I know, I've worked myself into a panic. He said, this is going to strengthen you. It is going to fix and set your mind. If any of you have ever bought like a dresser at Ikea or a bookshelf, you know that Um, for safety measures, they give you, in addition to all those extra pieces, right? There's always extra pieces. There probably shouldn't be, but there seems to be. But they put some bolts. They put some hardware in there so that you can bolt that dresser to the wall. You find a stud so that that bookshelf will stay upright so that if your kids climb on it, they're not going to knock it over, they're not going to fall down. That's what this passage is saying. The enemy is coming to shake you and to knock you over. He's sifting you to the point where he wants your faith to topple and to be destroyed and to be destructive to others. But I have prayed for you and you are going to turn back and you are going to strengthen the hearts of your brothers so I can turn back and tell them he was faithful and he was good in the middle of my trial and let me tell you about my Jesus and how he got me through. We can have a testimony that says, I, Jesus is reminding us he has bolted us securely with those nails in his hands and feet on the cross. He has bolted us securely to him so that in the middle of our sifted seasons, we can stand firm and fixed. We can have a testimony that says, life was hard, but God held me fast and he will do it for you. A few years ago, I was pastoring a church, and we were growing. I loved it. I loved pastoring this church. And then we were experiencing just a real move of God, and then all of a sudden in one season, someone came in that tried to destroy all of it. And I found myself getting anxious. I found myself being sifted. And when we talk about being able to turn back and strengthen the hearts of your brothers and sisters... We're talking about testimonies. And what happened was in this sifting season, I, I did what I do as a human. I go to my thoughts and I want to control what's happening. How can I minimize the pain? How can I fix it in my own strength? And maybe tack a little scripture on the end of it. And in the middle of that season, all of a sudden I got the chance to go away on a sabbatical 
And for those of you who don't know that, sometimes after several years of pastoring, pastors may take a little time away to be with Jesus, to hear his heart. And I thought, there's no way I can leave right now because things are a mess. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, you need to go. You need to trust me and go. So this place was out in Tennessee, about 14 hours from where I was living at the time, way up in the mountains. And I did not I was not told this, it wasn't in the brochure, that there would be no cell phone reception, no internet, no television, basically no nothing except a bed and and some running water. And so my best friend had come with me, thankfully, so I had some human conversation. But what we did for fun, we would knock apples out of a tree with a snow shovel, cut them in half, and drive up the mountain in this rural area about a mile, and we would feed cows apples. Every day, that's what we did. Knock the apples, cut them in half, put them in a bag, drive up the mountain, and we would shout to them in southern accents, and they would come to the fence, and we would feed this herd. The people who ran the retreat center said, just girls, I want to give you a little bit of warning, don't go much further past that farm. It starts to get real rural and real spooky, like, you know, like moonshine being made on bathtub, like in bathtubs on the porch? Like, that kind of place is a little scary. And so they said, don't go much further up there. It's not too safe. Well, two weeks into our time there, we went up to feed the cows at our usual time, and the cows would not come over. They had always come running when they saw my car. They refused. They were happy way out in the pasture. And we had pounds and pounds of apple already cut up. And so I said to my friend, let's go up the road a little bit further. And let's see if we can find any other animals that we could feed these to, because what are they going to do but rot in my car? And so she and I drove up a little bit, and she's like, please promise me if we see somebody come out with a rifle that you're going to turn around and we're going to go. And we, we were going mile after mile, and houses got fewer and fewer apart, and then the road ended. It was a, like a logging road. It just ended. And we had to turn around in a driveway. And my friend said, you better hurry up, because if somebody comes out on that porch, we, you know, we might be in trouble. Well, all of a sudden, here comes a woman out on the porch. And she flagged us down, and she said, what's going on? We never get cars coming through here. And she seemed nice enough, and so we told her what had happened. And she goes, oh, I've got goats. Come feed my goats. And so we said, okay, we felt safe enough. We go, we start feeding goats, these apples. And as we're, we're feeding them, we're talking. She said, I notice your plates are Pennsylvania. And... You know, my husband had an uncle that used to live in Pennsylvania, you know, and I said, oh, it's a big state. Yeah, I think it was like in the Northeast. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's I'm in the Northeast too. And, and uh, little by little, we did that thing where you, you weed it down until we realized, she said, I think my husband's uncle lived in your town. So he comes out and she said, honey, this girl's from Berwick, which is about two hours north of here at Victory. And, and she said, you know, uh, you had family there, right? And he said, yeah, because she wouldn't have known them. They lived there for two years, 30 years ago. So you're too young, honey. And as he walked away over his shoulder, he said, you know, my uncle always felt so bad about that church not taking off. And I said, hang on. Sir, who is your uncle? He was the man that led my parents to the Lord in the 70s who had started a Christian school where at five years old, I heard the voice of God tell me that I had a call on my life. We all started weeping. He said, my uncle has felt so bad that that church plant didn't ever really take off, and he's felt discouraged for the last 30 years. Can you call him? He's dying now. You call him and tell him what God did in your life. And I remember my, my best friend said to me as we drove away, she goes, if I wasn't with you, I wouldn't believe it. 
14 hours from home, on the side of a mountain where my cell phone couldn't find me. He knew where I was. And God spoke to my heart so powerfully in that very moment. And I said, Lord, if you can find me here, I can trust my church with you. I could trust my future with you. I can trust all of it with you. And then the Holy Spirit hit me with this, this moment of truth. We not only serve a God who's powerful enough to find me there in that moment, we serve a God who is powerful enough to make cows not hungry on day 14 so that I go up the road a little bit further and find this person. You see, my sifting season, he was praying for me that my faith wouldn't fail. When my heart could turn back, it would become a testimony that would strengthen the hearts of brothers and sisters who hear that story. I can't imagine how many times I've told that to people. I sometimes tell it to myself to remind myself of his goodness and his power. So having our mind firmed and fixed is a declaration that we believe who he is. I want to go back real quick to that verse that we started with, Matthew 7, 7 to 8. Remember, ask, seek, and knock. So when you're in that moment where your faith is being sifted and you feel like I just need a little bit more faith, I just need to pray harder, I need to find the right verse to pray, I need to do better, can you remember that it is him who is praying for you at that very moment that your faith would not fail? And so it's not about how well you ask, how well you seek, and how well you knock. It's about who you believe is on the other side of that door that you're knocking on. And it is a God who loves you, who is good, and who gives good gifts to his children. He can't do anything but be good. God is not good. It's not a word that describes him. He is goodness itself. So he cannot be anything but. The other day I was in the shower where all good spiritual revelations come. And I was thinking about the book of Revelation where all of the elders and all of the creatures are just praising and 24-7, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and blessing and wisdom and honor and glory and power. And the Lord overwhelmed me with that thought that the reason why they have to sing 24-7 is because there is not a split second of any day that he is not doing good and praising worthy and glory-filled things. And so this, this evening, as we're looking at this passage, Luke has reminded us that we can raise our expectations in prayer because of the one who is already praying for us and his prayers that our faith won't fail. Satan wanted to sift the believers by using their painful experiences that they were going through, and in the same way, he wants to do that in your life too wants to do two things. He wants to keep you from Jesus through your sifting process. He wants you to be filled with the pain, the bitterness, the memories, the unforgiveness, all of those things, the pain of what you're going through, and he doesn't want you to experience life in the presence of Jesus. He doesn't want your faith to not fail. He wants it to fail. And the second purpose, Satan sifts us so he can distract you and I from growing in the deeper things of God, from pressing in, from knocking, and from knowing who he is. Satan has desired to sift us like wheat, friends, and he'll use anyone and anything to do it. But Jesus is praying for you right now in this moment, and he's praying a very specific thing that your faith won't fail. Remember, there were two words, two ways of, of, of translating that word sifted. One was to refine and one was to crush. 
The enemy wants to crush you through the sifting. Jesus wants to refine you and to make you more and more like his son. And so if I can have us take this moment to pray. I think this is how the Lord would like us to respond today. First, the scripture says that there's another kind of sifting that happens at the end that separates the wheat from the chaff. Jesus uses this as a picture of standing before that judgment seat for eternity where it'll be separated those who followed Jesus and those who didn't. And so if you have not made a decision to follow Jesus yet, would you begin that today? Would you know that just like we're talking here about coming and knocking to pray, there's also another knock. It's Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, your life, saying, will you let me in? And if you haven't made that decision today, would you pray this with me? And let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, Thank you for knocking at my heart's door. I've gone through sifting, but I know that you are praying for me. And so I welcome you in. I open the door of my heart, Jesus. And I ask you now to come and live your life in me. In Jesus' name. And secondly, some of you might be here in the service now or online, and you would say that you have been in a season of being sifted, and it has been hard to pray a prayer of faith. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to take a step further? How do I pray harder and better? You don't. You remember who's praying for you, and you let that faith that he is praying for you to have well up inside you. If you're going through that sifted season, would you just pray with me now? Father, we thank you for the words that Jesus gave to Peter. He gave him the expectation that things were going to get rough, but he gave him a better expectation. He raised his expectation to say that you were going to get him through it by praying that his faith would not fail. And Lord, my brothers and sisters may be here tonight, all of us, here are being sifted in some way, shape, or form in our family, our health, our mind, our finances, our work. And so we say thank you, Jesus, that you are raising our expectations with your word, that when we are sifted and we don't feel like we've got the faith to pray, we thank you that you are praying a prayer for our faith to be strengthened. And Lord, I ask that you would give my brothers and sisters and I a story to tell, that when we have a need, help us to come, to ask, to seek, to knock, knowing that the one that we run to is the one who has been praying for us all along to be strengthened so that we might believe and know and walk in the goodness of your power. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you made the decision,